You're listening to the Sexual Wellness Sessions with Kate Moyle. Today's conversation was brought to you by the Love Sleep range by This Works. Not long ago, the bedroom was a place for physical connections, for true relaxation and for regeneration. But in our increasingly digital world and exasperated by lockdown, the bedroom sadly sees more scrolling than sex. And in fact, for many of us, the last thing we register before we close our eyes is our phone and not our partners. The Love Sleep range was developed to help you to reclaim the bedroom for sleep and intimacy with a 100% natural super blend with ylang ylang and patchouli to help you to switch off and to turn on. After using the Love Sleep pillow spray, one in three users had more intimate moments. So Emma and Gabby from the Big Fat Negative podcast, the podcast for infertility, IVF, and for those struggling with the trials of trying for a baby. Thank you so much for coming on today. This is a topic that I think is really, really important to talk about. Um, and one of the things that one of my favourite um, authors, writers, um, speakers, Esther Perel talks about is the complete irony of sex is that it creates babies, but actually babies kind of take away from sex. But what <laughs> that doesn't so even highlight is the trouble of even getting there which is what you guys have based your entire kind of podcast on and I would love to Mm -hmm. hear a bit about how you got started with Big Fact Negative um, Mm -hmm. and then we'll kind of roll into talking about how all of these things can impact our sex lives. Lovely well thanks for having us. Yeah massive thanks for having us. Um, Emma do you want to talk about how it started? It all started back in Oh, years ago. I can't even remember when it was. But um, I'd been struggling to have a baby for a while. And I would just talk to like literally anyone who would listen about it. Mm, talk to or complain, one of the two. Um, and I was on holiday with Gabby and another friend of ours. Um, <laughs> and um, complaining about it. And I said, I want to start a podcast. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to call it Big Fat Negative. And Gabs was like, cool, 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 cool. And then Gabs, I think, was it after that that you started having trouble or was it before that? I think, um, yeah, after that maybe. And um, we were talking about that, obviously. And then one day I think I was like, oh, maybe, Emma, if you ever do that podcast, maybe I could be a guest on it. And you were like, mate, why don't you make it with me? And I was like, yes, please. (laughs) Yeah, and ever since then, we've just been talking about... Um, essentially our vaginas every week. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. But we basically, we um, narrated our entire journeys of, of trying for um, trying for babies, going through IVF. Um, and luckily we both had success in IVF whilst we were recording. Um, so we've got recordings of our pregnant, taking pregnancy tests even. Yeah. Um, and obviously we both now have babies, but we're still um, continuing with the podcast, which is a, it's a safe place for people who are trying to conceive. Yeah. And I love that you guys do it. And I um, have recommended your podcast to so many people and don't mind sharing that I've had IVF myself. So I can completely understand, you know, the, the psychology of what that process is like. But mm. I think so many people go into it feeling terrified, feeling alone. You know, we know that kind of counselling and therapy isn't a necessity if you're going through the process. So that kind of support can sometimes feel quite far reaching. And Mm -hmm. I think so much of the time people just kind of put their heads down and get through it. Mm. But 
don't know who to turn to or who to ask or how to start those conversations. And so a podcast is a really easy way of kind of conversationalizing some of what you're feeling or experiencing and recognizing that you're not alone in what's going on, which I think is one of the hardest things about any kind of fertility difficulty. Yeah, I think we tried really hard to be just brutally honest about everything we were going through and everything we were th- feeling. And um, and yeah, definitely the, re- the response from everyone was just, you know, thank you for making us feel less alone, basically. So I think that yeah. was one of the major problems with infertility. It was essentially just like a therapy session for us, wasn't it? Like a weekly therapy session. Oh, like yeah. I went to counselling during my IVF and it was nowhere near as good as just sitting down and talking to Gabs or complaining at Gabs, I should yeah. say. When we start thinking, okay, well, we might be ready to start thinking about trying to get pregnant or starting a family. You know, lots of people never feel ready, but they just decide they're going to kind of see what happens, that sex can feel quite exciting and quite um, Mm. a lot of anticipation. And we have these kind of ideas about, oh, is this the time? And actually, quite quickly, that disappointment can kind of really kick in. And there's that monthly kind of anxiety and disappointment or anxiety and letdown or anxiety and... um, thinking about how sometimes even if our period is just a couple of days late that we get really excited and so it goes from being really special at the start to quite quickly becoming very routine or like a time chore or we get preoccupied or and what it does is that completely takes us out of the headspace of enjoying the sex that we're having because it's kind of gone from fun to functional quicker than we could have imagined possible yeah I mean in my in my experience it was pretty much after the first month I think (laughs) I like I'm like I've always been somebody who wants something I'm not a patient person and um and so I think I started taking pregnancy tests right from the first month even before I kind of before I really understood when is okay to take a pregnancy test um and I, I just think I've always say during the during the, the TTC process, while you're trying for a baby, whatever you're doing, whether you're doing IVF, whether you're doing what you know, just trying naturally, you become so hyper aware of your body. Mm-hmm. Um and it makes it really, really hard to relax during sex and have a nice time because you're just thinking about what's happening in your body. Yeah, definitely. It well for me anyway, it started off so, so special and lovely. And you know, after every time you have sex you kind of think, Oh, I wonder if that was the one and wouldn't that be so special? And you know, we've booked this hotel and it's really good night for it to happen this time. And it's just so quickly it descends into kind of I don't know, like I start having sex when the app told me to, not when I wanted to have sex. And I became kind of almost like a, I wanted my husband's sperm. I didn't want to have sex with him. Mm-hmm. I would think I just need to top up on sperm and I could be pregnant. And that, that was how I would look at him, not as my partner who I loved and who I wanted to sleep with. It was it's sad. I just need to top up on sperm. It's my new favourite phrase. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the impact on relationships is massive you know I think that kind of trying to conceive struggling to conceive infertility IVF I I genuinely think the impact of those things on relationships can be kind of completely consuming but just even what you described there and I I um, (laughs) I really love that phrase as well the kind of topping up on sperm a bit like you used to top up your phone (laughs) pay as you go back in the day but that you know our partner's also experience that and so they realize that it's not a genuine want for intimacy or 
um, connection or pleasure or orgasm, but actually it's just a, you know, I need what you have. Mm -hmm. And the impact on desire for both parties is, can be catastrophic. I remember when, um, when it was probably after about six months of trying for a baby, when we kind of realized there was something wrong, I started using an app and, um, and it said my fertile window was this one particular week. And my husband, who works in the film industry, was filming in Oxford. And we live in West London. And um, all his colleagues were staying in a hotel. But I made him drive back every single night to have sex during this fertile window. And he would arrive at like midnight. And when I'd make us have sex. And then he'd go off at about 5am to get there on time. For, I think it was five or six nights in a row. And he looked tired by the end of it. <laughs> but he was. That's also not the first time that I've heard that kind of story at all mm-hmm. because we get so preoccupied with, um, you know, trying to conceive. We get so preoccupied with trying to fall pregnant that mm-hmm. we will do anything to, to, try, to try and achieve that. Mm. Yeah. I think um, I've never really actually spoken to my husband about this, but um, I think we were both almost traumatised by by the experience of of this kind of desperate desperateness to get pregnant and how that impacted us that almost when we found out that we needed to have IVF it was almost like thank god like Mm. either a we can give up on the sex for a while because that's become a real nightmare or and also you know we could then eventually have sex back as as ours again not as this kind of weird thing that we have to do on these certain nights. Mm, so it's a bit like reclaiming sex. Yeah, yeah, almost. I remember when, um, so I had both my fallopian tubes clipped because they were both blocked. And when the second one was clipped, I remember thinking, like being quite upset about it, but also thinking, God, we, we're literally not trying for a baby anymore. Like the only way we can get pregnant is IVF. And it was just, it had this massive relaxing influence on me. I actually felt incredibly chilled after that for about mm-hmm. six months. Because every time we had sex, it was just like when we wanted to have sex rather than when like the app said we had to. Exactly. Yeah. So it just takes the pressure off. And mm. you know, the thing we know about desire and wanting to have sex is that pressure is about one of the biggest turnoffs that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And I think that I really kind of love that you've both recognised that because when we voice those things, I think sometimes, you know, one one of the biggest problems actually is that we don't have enough open and honest conversations about infertility. So as you guys said, you know, even from kind of one month one, you're thinking, okay, why isn't this working? Like what, what isn't happening? Why am I not pregnant yet? Whereas actually if we all understood that things might take a bit longer yeah, and we didn't just, we weren't kind of hearing these stories about everyone who got kind of pregnant first go, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't hold ourselves to such strong account. And I think when it comes to sex and intimacy and fertility and, a lot of the stuff that we take a lot of meaning from, what that means we do is we are so quick to the stresses and the anxieties and the concerns and the worries and we could, that can really, really chew us up. I think social media has a lot to answer for because, um, you know... This there are pregnant people of, everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, pregnant, you know, your really creative pregnancy announcements everywhere you look and, oh, oh my you know, God. people... People you haven't seen for years, you get to see when they're pregnant, though. And it's yeah. like, oh, it's you just end up in this, like, an echo chamber of pregnancy almost. It yeah. can really mess your head, I think. Do you know what, though? I also think I've got this theory 
that it's a problem, like particular problem for kids of the 90s because we were raised in this time that everybody said if you work hard enough at something, you'll get what you want. Mm. And I think to a lot of us, that just means like having loads and loads and loads of sex. And if you're doing what you're supposed to do and you're still not getting pregnant, you just do it more. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people having a lot somebody told me that they were having sex no sorry I interviewed somebody who said one of their clients had said to them they were having sex four to six times a day oh my god can you imagine (laughs) exhausted like the just the agony would you even be able to walk after that I don't know (laughs) nightmare (laughs) hey maybe they're having great time maybe you know maybe they know something we don't know Maybe they just have a really good lube, but um, <laughs> I just apparently that's what they thought, how they thought they would get pregnant. Well, the amount of pressure, the performance anxiety that goes with that, and you know, I mean, just the time. But I think that it just so um, highlights like how we all kind of get so anxious that we're like, okay, well, if we just, as you said, if we just do this and do this and do this and do this, something will change. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, what that poses a massive problem for is when people actually get pregnant, that suddenly both partners are left feeling quite undesired or unwanted or, yeah. you know, some people report kind of feeling used. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, we've, we actually, um, so we asked our listeners to kind of share their stories with us. Um, and there were a few people who said, a lot of women said their husbands felt quite used. Mm. And it kind mm. of, it, it ruined the intimacy because their husbands felt like they were kind of being, they were a penis, basically. Mm. Just a walking penis. I mean, I, yeah, if you ask my husband, I'm pretty sure he'd say the same. Like, that's definitely how I looked at him. <laughs> it, you just, I think when you're, when the kind of infertility thing hits you, you kind of become blind to to the what you do have and, you know, what's good. And you become this kind of, I don't know, you're just so desperate to get those two two little lines that, you you know I think you can start to you, you know see your husband in a completely the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the other things about it is that um, all forms of kind of intimacy then seem to or are considered to lead to sex. And so what it does is it doesn't just impact your sex life, but all forms of kind of cuddling or kissing or touching or physical contact yeah. because. Mm. You're, you're both kind of hypersensitive to anything to do with sex. And so yeah. actually that anxiety or stress or kind of leaks backwards into other aspects of your relationship, which have never been a problem before. And yeah. so, you know, my experience of kind of working with couples, whether they've been experiencing, you know, miscarriage or infertility or IVF or the pressure of trying and it's interrupted their sex lives is what we work really hard at is kind of establishing safe contact again or Uh enjoyable contact again and contact for pleasure's sake you know Mm. um pleasure for pleasure's sake touch for touch's sake rather than it having to go somewhere or lead to something else because we get a bit we can get a bit jumpy if we think oh god no I I really don't want to now Mm. or you know you putting your arm around me while we're watching tv means I think I know where this is going to go later and so we tend Mm -hmm. to pull away from each other outside of the bedroom as well gosh yeah that makes sense one person I spoke to said you just kind of have to have a sense of humor about it Mm. and like understand that yeah you're having sex to have a baby it's really stupid and I think that's part of the reason that we started the podcast was like 
the whole thing is kind of hilarious. Like you have sex and then inevitably at some point you're going to end up putting your legs up the wall because somebody on Google Mm -hmm. said that you should. Mm -hmm. And then you're lying there with your legs in the air like an idiot and just feeling really stupid and like, you know, getting all hysterical if you don't catch all the sperm. Like if a little bit of sperm comes out, then like freaking out. I think that... If I kind of had thought of it like that, it probably would have helped me quite a bit at the beginning. It's just like, come on, guys, just have a laugh about this. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. What you're doing is ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but it kind of, when there's no one to actually check it out with, yeah. then you will kind of do anything that's ridiculous that you think is going to work. Exactly. Oh a dance naked at the crossroads, you know, wearing, I don't know, a tutu. If I thought that it would work, <laughs> you'd do anything. So yeah, legs up the wall, you know, oh what's a small price to pay for some kind of hope over the next two weeks while you wait to find out if it works, you know? Yeah, but you don't get much cuddling after that either if you're lying there with your legs up the wall. Don't touch me, you might make the sperm come out. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to learn to be creative as a couple, but when you're under pressure and stress, you know, that's actually one of the things that's really hard to do. Mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> So, all I can think of is people just lying up with their legs on the wall there. You know, yeah. we've all seen those positions in the film, in the movies and everything. And I think that's also part of the problem is the representations we see of couples and relationships mm-hmm. and trying to conceive and trying to get pregnant. You know, those representations are never that factual mm-hmm. and never that helpful because they don't actually highlight kind of the reality of what a situation like that might be like. It's true. And do you know what? The one thing that bothers me massively still is pregnancy test commercials Mm -hmm. because it always features a couple. They're always sitting down in the bathroom like against a massive wall like what who are these people with these giant bathrooms where they can just sit down um is it just me that has a tiny bathroom I don't know um and they're always looking at the pregnancy tests and they're always really happy and like my experience of taking pregnancy tests is absolutely bloody miserable and every single time except one time um and it's terrified people are terrified surely yeah god yeah and well this is I guess this is the same point that I was making about like becoming obsessed with your entire body is like you become you know we interviewed somebody recently or Gabby did actually um who talked about loo anxiety about being scared to go to the loo because you might be bleeding and having miscarriage Mm -hmm. because she she had a lot of losses and it's just it's this hyper awareness of your body and then if you've been through I remember both of us were like this after we'd been through IVF we got to we were pregnant and we both had massive freakouts about having sex while we were pregnant because, mm. like, it might kill the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though mm. everything says it's absolutely fine. But it's because you become, you know, so terrified. And I think, you know, the word terrified really, really kind of resonates with so many people that mm. are in this process because even if you are lucky enough to then get pregnant or to conceive, that is the most precious thing. And so anything that could jeopardise or risk that and lots of women report kind of being incredibly oversensitive to kind of everything or just wanting to kind of stay at home or not go anywhere or just kind of relax all the time or stop. You know, there is that sense of kind of having to pause life, I suppose. And I think that was one of the things that I wanted to highlight from this discussion as well is it might be that people have experienced miscarriage Mm -hmm. or, you know, repeated kind of... um, 
pregnancy kind of failed pregnancy tests but for example if you have been successful in getting pregnant and then you've had a miscarriage the idea of trying again Mm. can be absolutely terrifying for some people and you know just that again can completely change how you relate to sex or even you know there's nothing that you desire less than ever feeling that way again but unfortunately sex is the gateway to the potential for feeling like that again but Mm -hmm. also the potential of of healing that pain or of Mm -hmm. getting the thing that you most want I think um I think one of the big issues um is is around confidence and like confidence in your body and its ability to to do what it's meant to do is kind of is one part of that and that's kind of tied up with infertility and miscarriage but also kind of confidence and feeling sexy is something that also yeah. just goes out the window mm-hmm. you know I think especially if you get to something like IVF and you're kind of covered in you know injection bruises and you've maybe put on a bit of weight because you're retaining water you just yeah. lose all confidence in yourself I think and that's that can have a really bad impact yeah I mm. definitely had that like just feeling horrible about your body and it's funny because your husband or my husband looked at me and was like what nothing's changed I don't know what's wrong with you like why why have you got a problem mm. not like he wasn't that unsympathetic he was very sympathetic and kind but he he didn't really understand because he wasn't in my head mm. Mm. and and for him it was just that we were going through this horrible thing together but we were we were very close so we were very like we were presenting a united front but when it came to having sex like I just felt horrible yeah and it's not necessarily about your body it's your perspective of your body and Mm. and kind of exactly what you're describing you don't might not necessarily look any different and you know one of the really brutal things that we know about infertility is that it's invisible yeah Mm. and you know IVF is invisible and um kind of struggling to conceive is invisible so to everyone else we might appear the same but the perception of yourself is completely changed but also as you were saying, just, you know, the kind of hormonal fluctuations or been covered in the injection marks, you know, that doing the injections themselves can be so brutal, but just going to the appointments and having to have internal scans all the time and doctors examine you all the time. And, you know, um, it's a bit like kind of your vagina can become a bit like Piccadilly Circus. <laughs> really. yeah. You're meant to just be like, okay, but it's also for fun. Yeah. yeah. It's hard because you have to, I think you have to make that um, distinction almost when you're going through IVF because if you continue to think about your vagina as a private place that you and your husband shared, you kind of go crazy. You've got 10 doctors staring up it and dildo cam and all of these things. Like, you know, it's, I think you almost have to make that distinction of like, okay, now my vagina isn't, isn't what it used to be. Now it's something (laughs) that that everyone sees. (laughs) Do you know what's really funny is we had at least, we've had a few people who've who have said that um, they wax not for their their partner, but for their infertility doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. And it's true. But I think it's just that, it's that idea of, um, you know, your body becomes so Mm medicalised and so, you know, all about what it can do, the right time to do it, what hormones will help, you know, what injections you have to do, um, what you have to do to help the process that it all becomes so by the rule book and so functional that to then go into a sexual space, which is, you know, the the kind of goal of sex should always be that it's pleasurable and fun and consensual. You know, those 
those things are completely polarised. Mm-hmm. And it's quite difficult to switch from one to the other. Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, I don't know. I think you just, I almost like siloed my body. Does that even make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. But you just kind of ring fence it for different uses, don't you? Mm. Mm. I just, when I was going through IVF, I just hated my body. I didn't hate how it looked necessarily because there was a point where I lost a lot of weight very rapidly through this IVF diet that I went on. But I just, I just resented it. It just had let me down. Mm. I didn't really, I didn't really want to do anything with it particularly. And I think that's quite a common experience. Mm. And, I, you know, I'm sure it's the same for guys, yeah. you know, having to go into the jack-off oh, yeah, room. We haven't even talked about that. <laughs> what did you call it? The whack-off races? The whack-off races. That's when you have to whack off at home and get your little tub of sperm over to the hospital within an hour <laughs> so that the, the little guys are still, still nice. <laughs> but yeah, the, the guys don't have an easy time of it. No. Easier, but They're always told easy. by nurses, you've got the easy bit. But as we know, it's not necessarily true. No, you can a lot of pressure when you have to go into that room and produce your best sample of your life. <laughs> but also completely kind of depersonalizing for them. And I think that, you know, the one thing I would say to couples is try and talk about how you're both feeling. And I think the other thing is that um, particularly female partners, if it's a male-female um, relationship or, you know, the partner kind of having the IVF can sometimes be like, well, this is really unfair. I'm the one having to go through yeah. this. I'm the one who's having to do all mm. this. You know, and now you, you know, you want us to have sex and that's another thing that I have to do. And I think yeah. that kind of helping people to think, you know, if you think that the motivation, and we have hundreds of motivations for why we have sex, it's not always because we're trying to conceive, but if your main motivation for such a long time has been that, it can help to find other motivations to be sexual or find different ways to have sex which might not involve kind of intercourse because that's become temporarily kind of off limits or not okay or tainted but did you not just find that you were so tired by the whole thing just like emotionally tired physically tired just exhausted by the whole thing that the idea of having sex while I was going through treatment I was just like, oh, God, I don't know if I can face it. My poor husband. And then I got yeah. pregnant and then I was too tired to have sex. Now we've got a baby and I'm too tired to have sex. <laughs> I just, I found it really, I just felt so exhausted all the time. Totally. And I think so many people just report that emotional draining and mm. exhaustion, you know, because the, I think one of the other things that I really wanted to um, focus on was this idea that, you know, when people are kind of trying to get pregnant or trying to conceive or having any of the kind of procedures or difficulties that we've talked about, it takes up so much headspace and completely takes over everything. And one of the things that we know is best for people's sex lives or when people report having the best sex is when they're not thinking about anything at all, Mm -hmm. when they are kind of in the moment, just letting go, giving themselves permission to just focus on the pleasurable sensations and enjoy And so if we're completely in our heads and we have become completely Mm -hmm. preoccupied and in our heads for almost every other aspect of our lives, to expect us to suddenly be different in sex is is quite a big jump. Mm -hmm. It does. It does take over your every thought, I think. And, it you know, it's something that impacts everything, impacts work. Um, Yeah, obviously your sex life, you know, seeing your friends. Often you'd be sitting in a group of friends and you're just 
in your head going through, oh, mm, I wonder if we did that right. Maybe we did that. And you're kind of doing counting out the days. And you're like, when am I due? Yeah. Is my period late? It can just turn you into a bit of a zombie with this internal uh-huh. monologue. And yeah, obviously kind of getting yeah. getting out of that enough to enjoy sex is impossible at times also if you're having sex and you're looking at your nipples going "Mm, are they a bit darker (laughs) oh they hurt a little bit when you touch them just then oh i wonder if that means oh yeah and when was my and then you really ham it up and you're like ouch that really hurt (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) yeah oh it's all coming back to me emma it's all coming back to me jesus but it's just that idea of it kind of like taking you at the moment isn't it and then you're so preoccupied with that that actually what you would you, your partner could almost be doing anything in terms of yeah. like touch or physical sensation. And if you're in your head, and this is something I work with loads of people on, is if you are in your head, you cannot be in your body at the same time. You can't be simultaneously mm. kind of completely giving your attention to both places because we only have a certain amount of attention available at any one time. Mm-hmm. And our thoughts can take over really quickly and really effectively. Well, Kate, you're the expert here, but isn't, I mean, female... Um, orgasms and stuff are so much about in, in their head and what's happening there emotionally rather than kind of physically in the way it is for guys often um, so that's got to be a huge bug. absolutely and you know we have to kind of be in the right headspace but also desire is context dependent and so if the context has changed because um, we are trying to conceive then what it does is stops us kind of wanting the thing that we previously wanted. And so, you know, we want desire to be fueled by the things that make us feel good. You know, like anything in life, if we like it, we want to do it more. And so that mm. change of definition for sex can completely change us wanting sex. And I think another thing that people find really distressing is that lack of sex drive or drop in libido or mm. reduction in sex drive, whatever whatever term you mm. want to use for it. Because it goes against kind of, it's also, it. it's about how we feel about ourselves as a sexual person. And that can get completely lost in these kind of processes. I wonder how long it takes after this kind of thing to get back to where well, you but were. But that's the problem, isn't I it? Because like you get, if, if I, if first of all, you're trying to conceive, that's horrible and really ruins your sex life. Then you're doing IVF. Yeah. That's horrible and really ruins your sex life. Then you get pregnant. That apart from the like the one week before you give birth when you're desperately trying to make the thing come out that ruins your sex life <laughs> and then you have a newborn and that really ruins your sex life so you know i was trying yeah. for a baby for four and a half years before i got a baby my poor husband did not sign up for this no like, absolutely and i suppose not that we're talking about it now but childbirth completely changes your relationship with your vagina again mm-hmm. um in a way you know is is very hard to come back from I think I don't know personally anyway (laughs) yeah if you have been through all of this and then you have a baby everything you're you're doing is still framed by infertility we have discovered Mm. um from like how you parent your child to how you conduct yourself to to sex because you know when I'm having sex now there's a tiny bit of me that's like I might get pregnant I might be one of those people and I have Googled, I will be honest, in the last few weeks, I have Googled, can you get pregnant with no fallopian tubes? Apparently, there's a 1% chance that I can. That little voice in the back of your head. That, that little voice away. is still there. And when I'm having sex, sometimes the next day, I'm like, oh, maybe. 
maybe I'll be pregnant after this and I'll be one of those miracle stories and I'll get to go on chat shows. (laughs) (laughs) On this morning couch. Exactly. It does happen. Yes, chatting to Lorraine. But, you know, I like, I just, it just, it messes with your head forever, I think. It must do because it hasn't Mm -hmm. stopped messing with my head. And I think that, you know, when you interestingly said earlier like how do things like get back to how they were again another thing that I really work with people to do is not to get back to where they were but to kind of be like okay well where are you now and how can we change Mm. things now how can we address what's going on now because so often in relationships you know any relationship really you always hear people talk about well at the start our sex lives were x y and z Mm. you know when we first Mm. met when we first started dating and People that are so preoccupied with getting back to that mm-hmm. uh, honeymoon phase, in inverted commas. But what we have to kind of understand is actually we, this is our new normal or this is kind of where we're at. How can we understand each other better? Communication being one of the kind of key ingredients of a good sex life. But just not, tr- you know, kind of, I suppose, recognising that these are the things we've been through. And so how can we kind of focus on our sex life to also acknowledge that yeah I suppose it's realizing that um your sex you were kind of a different person back when you were when you first started seeing each other and you were shagging and lose and stuff and god knows what you're (laughs) doing Gabriella um (laughs) sorry and um (laughs) and I suppose you know you're as you say it's a new normal what's what is good now didn't isn't the same as what was good then so what is what is now is good so to speak what's what's your new kind of what's your new benchmark Mm. but also that you know maybe for lots of people it gives them an opportunity to be like okay now there is no pressure on sex the focus is us enjoying each other having fun together experiencing pleasure together connecting being intimate whatever that motivation is that that is a a different type of sex. You know, you're in a different, I suppose, sexual phase. Yeah. It's the transitioning to that next phase that's sometimes difficult, I guess. I think really scary for people as Uh well. Mm. Talking about it is hard. (laughs) Um, You know, your partner's your partner and you've been together for however many years you've been together. But having really honest, open conversations about sex... I don't know about you guys, but I I don't know. I find it quite difficult. I, also, I think there's that assumption that they should know you by now. Like, you know, every yeah. now and then, I'll be lying there being like, "Oh, why isn't he doing this?" And I'll be like, "Wait, I haven't actually asked him to do that." Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. like, he's not psychic, so mm. maybe I should just ask him. Ask for it. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. Um, but you know, I think one of the biggest ironies is that often the hardest person for us to talk to about sex is the person we're having it with. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we aren't taught, A, how to be comfortable with sex, how to talk about sex. We don't have, you know, kind of lessons in or education and kind of it's it's changing now. And, you know, we know we have new kind of curriculum coming in, but it's something that we're never taught to be comfortable about, but we are expected to be an expert in sex and expecting ourselves to be an expert in mm-hmm. sex and expecting us to be completely perfectly aligned with our partners without any kind of prior knowledge and it's impo- and that's impossible but we have all these unrealistic mm. expectations of ourselves as sexual beings and 
you know, particularly one of the things that I think is we don't really ever talk about sex until we have to a lot of the time. So, for example, until it starts going wrong or um, isn't working anymore or we are experiencing infertility. And so suddenly we're then faced with a decision that we have to make, which is that we have to talk about it rather than the fact that we kind of want to talk about it and it's a happy conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just another part of the head fuck, really, isn't it? Like, the infertility just, it changes everything about you. And I think that's what a, list, a lot of our, I mean, we get so many emails from our listeners and w- one of the major things, points that they make is like, why has this changed me so much and how can I get back to my old self? Mm. and it's the same with sex like it changes Mm. you it changes how you have sex it changes how you relate to your partner and it changes how you relate to your own body Mm. Mm. and the biggest sexual organ in the body is the brain Mm -hmm. we need to somehow take sex back guys (laughs) take it back (laughs) maybe we should start a campaign please start a campaign (laughs) but you know i i think one of the biggest things that i do as a psychosexual therapist is i help people to redefine sex yeah and it feels like for, um, you know, this community, this group of people Mm -hmm. and people kind of having these experiences, struggling with infertility and everything that goes with that, that perhaps, you know, this might be the group that really needs more help with that or more advice with that Mm. or Mm. more assistance with that Mm. because we, we cannot really kind of get away from the fact that that sex is is the route to getting what you want but on that path I I, I find the word journey kind of gets a bit Are we, I don't yeah. really always mm. like the word journey but we you have know, to it, it's kind of unavoidable yeah <laughs> um but it's kind of un- like sex being involved in this is unavoidable and so mm. our sex mm. lives changing is an unavoidable part of this. We're, we're a group for whom sex has broken mm. in a way that I think other groups don't necessarily have that for sure. You know, we for us, sex isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And so that kind of breaks all sorts of things, I think. Yeah. And it might be that sex pre-trying to conceive was never a problem, was never anything that people thought about. They enjoyed it. They had a great sex life. Um, because the the reason they were having sex was to enjoy it, to feel close to their partners, to have an orgasm. So the reasons for having it or the motivational factors were completely different. And then that motivation changed and that's what kind of changed everything. Mm. Absolutely. Well, what I wanted to kind of finish um, on was I wanted to ask you guys, and I suppose this would be, um, uh, is the question I'm kind of asking all my guests, is like what your key tips or pointers would be for kind of sexual well-being and sexual wellness now you guys might want to kind of talk about it kind of looking back on your experiences or from the questions and comments and your um conversations that you've had with your listeners I I don't know however you'd like to phrase it I think it would be great to know what you guys think has been perhaps one of the most helpful things for you I think my top tip is definitely just laugh like embrace the fact that this is a completely ridiculous situation to be in. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Just laugh at yourselves. Laugh at yourselves and talk about it because the more you internalise it, the the worse it's going to get. And also don't beat yourself up if you go through a period where you are 
that sperm monster where you're like, give me a sperm. That's all I want you for. And you're like, just, you know, having sex from the app and like that, that yeah. might happen. And that's, that's cool. Like it happens to all of us. Don't panic. Like you can, you can, it can get past that. Um, and yeah. well, I hope it can. Um, and yeah, just, just talk about it talk about it amazing and um, guys will you please tell everyone um where they can find out more info about you and what you guys are up to oh absolutely emma <laughs> you could we do the routine uh, you could follow us <laughs> yeah <laughs> you could follow us on instagram big fat negative you could follow us on twitter big fat negative you can find us on facebook big fat negative or you could email us big fat negative podcast at gmail.com or you can go on our website which is bigfatnegative.com or you could obviously search for us wherever you get your podcasts apple podcasts spotify acast whatever app you use um if you just search big fat negative we should pop up amazing emma and gabby thank you so much that has been such a enjoyable conversation given actually like how tricky this subject is to talk about but i really hope that um, it will help people and as we all said you know these experiences can feel so isolating so for anyone to feel that they can connect with with what we're talking about then we've done our job well, thank you so much for having us yeah it's been a pleasure i hope you enjoyed this episode of the sexual wellness sessions if you'd like to join us for more conversations you can click subscribe on either apple or spotify podcasts and if you have a moment please leave us a review 